Let's get it. Monday, May 18th, 2020. Born the Battle. Brought to you by the Department of Veterans Affairs. The podcast that focuses on inspiring veteran stories and puts a highlight on important offices, resources, and benefits for our veterans. I am your host, Marine Corps veteran Tanner Iskra. Hope everyone had a great week outside of podcast land. Uh, VA social media has been releasing some very good mindfulness videos lately. A lot of meditation, control your breathing type content. If you get a chance, check it out. Uh, There's some unique calming content there. I dig it. I personally put it on when I need to wind down and get some sleep. Thank you for your ratings and reviews recently and within the past week or two. Uh, Always helpful in pushing us up in the algorithms and helps us get all of this content in front of even more veterans. So thank you for the assist. Um, got two reviews this week. First one is from Blue Hog, says five stars. F and G. Yeah, just discovered this podcast and, and immediately became one of my top go-to podcasts. Been a veteran since 1983, but never did anything with the VA, but a home loan about 20 years ago. This year, started working on a claim for documented service-connected issues and found Born the Battle. Have heard so many great Hero of the Week stories and learned about so many different veterans organizations. I highly recommend this podcast for all veterans. Blue Hog, uh, you've also emailed me too. Thank you so much for for being a new listener. Uh, You've been a veteran since 83. I'm assuming you're a Blue Water Navy veteran. Uh, Welcome home, brother. Thank you for the comment and the words of endorsement. And thank you for helping us spread the word of what is actually in the podcast. Second one is from Bronx Batman. Man, I love these names. Keep them coming. Says five stars. Episode 194 is excellent. What I needed to hear. This is something I wanted to get involved in with writing books. This inspires me to complete mine. Thank you for this. I'm a former Navy and Coastie. Bronx Batman, we never hear from enough Coasties. And yes, the last episode, episode 194, was a great episode. And I even forwarded... Um, G. Michael Hoff, your your words that that you were inspired by by his interview. Um, yeah, again, it was a great episode, especially for aspiring writers. It makes me happy to be able to bring a guest on that gives you the inspiration to succeed. Uh, take his suggestions to heart and get it done, and don't forget about his suggestion to celebrate after you finish your first draft. Okay, so. This is for those that are always on the hunt for your next podcast. Remember a while back towards the beginning of the year when I said we were going to launch a VA podcast network in 2020? Well, our very first official podcast of 2020 just launched within the past couple of weeks. They are the Vets First Podcast. Their first season just dropped a couple of weeks ago on April 22nd. Uh, shoot, almost three weeks at the time of this drop. Either way, the whole first season is there and you can binge it like Netflix. Uh, It's hosted by a couple of VA researchers out of Iowa, Levi Sowers and Brandon Ray. Basically, they're involved in TBI research and are exposed to a lot of other extremely interesting research in VA healthcare. In their podcast, they interview veterans and researchers involved in TBI. And in their first season, uh, they even get into kidney transplants, which which we've touched on in a a news release or two. But they go really in depth. They interview both veterans and medical staff involved in these programs. And they come out with some incredible content, uh, like curing hepatitis kidneys and putting them in veterans. Just incredible, groundbreaking research uh, that the VA is doing. Now, they came up here for a visit to D.C., both Brandon and Levi, before all this COVID stuff went down, and we sat down and talked, and I was saving it for when they launched. So, here it is. Levi Sowers and Brandon Ray, hosts of the new VA Vets First podcast. Like we have like an inception thing going on right here. Right <laughs> yeah, it's <now>. really weird. <laughs> a, uh, a podcast within a podcast within a podcast. <laughs> it's true. There's uh, six or five microphones for three people. Yeah. Uh, the, the, as, if anybody doesn't know Levi and, and Brandon, they're they're also recording for their podcast, uh, Vets First, which we're going to get into. Um, Levi, glad to have you in D.C. Brandon, glad to, glad to have you guys in D.C. Didn't know Brandon was going to be here, actually, when I first talked to Levi. So. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah we uh, were able to get him out here. It's pretty sweet. Surprised to get a flight in, uh, in less than uh, being in D.C., Less than 48 hours, fly in, fly <laughs> yeah. out. Mm-hmm. Yep, not too bad. Now, you guys are researchers for the VA, right? Is that, yes. Is that, yes. Is that, is that like, what, is it, what's the official 
you know, I'm a producer, but they say audiovisual technology. Yeah, so my official title is a research health science specialist, which all researchers at the VA are technically, unless you have some sort of executive position or something like that. But I... Um, it's always still a mouthful, though. It oh, is, yeah, and yeah. it's actually... I wish they would just call us researchers or research scientists, but you know it is what it is. Gotcha. Would you guys? Uh, now you guys are in town to for like a grant uh, review, peer review. How does that work? How did yours goes? What's your guys is on? I got a million questions. Oh no worries. Yeah, that'd be that'd be so. Leaving. I um, was part of a career development award panel for the VA. Um, so one of the three pillars of the VA is research, and um, we have a peer-reviewed process for grants and so we are the the rrnd or hsrnd there's there's multiple branches of of the office of research and development and uh, i'm part of what's called rrnd or rehab research and design mm -hmm. and uh, we um, they get a series of grants twice a year and we're asked to review them uh, as scientists and so they'll have uh, three people review those grants um, or awards, we call them awards at the VA, they're not grants. Sure. Did you have anything up for, for review? I did, but I'm not allowed to know anything about that. Sure, but what's it on? So my particular project looks at traumatic brain injury in veterans and migraine headaches. So after TBI, 50% uh, of veterans will go on to have uh, long-term headaches. And so I'm really interested. I do preclinical work um, in mice, and we use mouse models to study that and study drugs uh, that could help or benefit veterans. And the, the interesting thing about TBI uh, in, in the battlefield is everyone thinks of people hitting their heads, but you know, if a IED goes off you know, 100 yards away and you get hit by that blast wave, you can get traumatic brain injury. Oh, wow. Then it can be pretty serious. And so um, those are the unseen uh, injuries, part of the unseen injuries of, of war, and uh, they can be a, a real problem for people, yeah. Gotcha. So, so Levi and Brandon, you guys are now starting a, a new podcast for the VA, for the VA Podcast Network. It's going to be called Vets First. Uh, listen to a couple episodes uh, pre-release. Um, really great stuff. I, I listened to your episode on TV, on your own work. Uh, what was the impetus behind you guys wanting to do this podcast? I think one of the chief concerns that we hear from veterans is no one really listens, like candidly listens in a sense, and also that they don't know that research is actually being done at the VA. So as VA researchers, the the people that you're trying to help, not knowing that you're actually doing this work can be problematic. So, I mean, listening to NPR and uh, um, other podcasts, it was kind of a see how it would work project of where Levi and I would just sit down, actually talk with a veteran, um, hear about their ailments, and then uh, on the second half, uh, talk with a researcher or physician on what's actually being done, and then putting that out there and seeing how that would uh, take off. I like that. I love that concept. I listened to you guys. I listened, I listened to the episode on TBI mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and what, what you're actually guys, guys are doing research on. And then I listened to the one about uh, the hepatitis C kidneys because I, I saw the oh, press yeah. release. I read the press release on Born mm -hmm. the Battle. And to actually hear from the researcher and 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 to hear that you know from the veteran, it was really cool. Um, yeah, we actually uh, we actually interviewed the first uh, Hep C positive kidney transplant recipient. Through that the was VA. fascinating. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's pretty cool. That was that was completely fascinating. What, what what do you get out of it as a researcher? Why do you guys want to do this? <clears throat> I would say, um, and I think I, I forget who said the quote, but uh, if you can't explain something simply, you don't you don't know it well enough. Um, but actually being able to communicate your research to people in a meaningful way is is really good because we do a lot of bench work uh, and not so much clinical uh, research or on the clinical side. And actually being able to see that connection that someone has, that what you're doing translates to actually helping people, mm -hmm. is is really rewarding. You know, I I think so. I think also that it's easy to, as a researcher, to get disconnected. Um, I guess you could look at it as being up in the crystal tower or whatever. You get very sure. far yeah. away from from the actual person you're trying to help, uh, especially when you do preclinical work, right? I work on mice all day. So that you're very detached from the veteran. And I think it's really important for um, the researcher to understand the veteran and the, the ailments of the veteran. And I think also we have a moral obligation. You know, I have a lot of both my grandfathers served in World War II and I have multiple family members that have served in the military. And I, you know, I just felt a strong need or want to serve uh, and give back in some way. Right. And so even though I haven't served in the military, I think it's good to give back to 
that population? There's many forms of service. You know, uh, I think we talked about in a previous ex- episode uh, with the National Commission on Public Service. Uh, just there's just you know between you know uh, whether it's religion or science or within the military, there's just multiple ways to get back to this country, and you're just doing one one way. And you and I have had many convers uh, one conversation. Yeah, uh, yeah. Maybe <laughs> maybe in the future, but we, you and I had a conversation about um, what it meant to you working in this arena now versus your previous fields. Yeah. Yeah. I think it just goes back to that whole idea of service and, um, you know, in research, it's very slow. It can take, you know, for, for in drug development, it can take all the way, you know, 20 years or more, right. The, the, the particular drug that we've helped work on CGRP, right. Mm-hmm. Is, is, um, or this compound CGRP, which is really important in, in headache and traumatic brain injury. It, it took 20 years. It was first discovered in the late eighties and, and really went into the pipeline in the the late nineties. And, you know, it takes 20 years from beginning to end. And when you're a researcher like that, you know, you can work on one project for five, 10 years, and then you'll only have one paper at the end. So there's not much. <laughs> it's, it's, it, can yeah. be, it can be a very humbling experience oh. and, it, and it teaches you it's okay to be incorrect on something and an idea, but it ne- doesn't necessarily mean that it's a failure. And yeah. so persistence is, uh, is key in terms of being a researcher, you know, and, and then we really want to communicate the importance of research, why, why it benefits people, why we should spend our tax dollars on it. And, mm-hmm. um, what, what is, how can we really help people? You know, yeah. why, why the VA versus another, another organization? Why, where, where, what's, what's the connect for you? Yeah. You know, the connect for me was, was honestly, uh, sort of serendipitous. I needed to get out of a situation I was in and I ended up at the VA and then it, it took on a life of its own really is what happened. And, you know, it's, it's been a blessing because I get much more, um, fulfillment out of doing the research I do now versus just grinding away at a university. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. Uh, now you guys aren't only just, um, uh, scientists, you guys got some side gigs. Um, <laughs> I do. Yeah. Yeah. yeah a few. <laughs> talk, talk to me about the 150 acres you got out there. In, uh, no, I've got Iowa. 500 acres out in Iowa. Excuse me. A 500 farm. acres. It's an old family farm. It's like 150 years Jeez. old. Jeez. That's, that's <laughs> a uh, We, uh, my cousin and I, who's a, he's a Marine veteran. Uh, we're raising pasture raised pigs. It's an old school approach. From Hungary. Yeah. They're a, they're a pig breed called Mangalitsa from Hungary. Yeah. And they look like sheep. <laughs> kind Willy, of show me this you show me some pictures now and it was just they're just crazy crazy looking pigs yeah, they're like the kobe <laughs> beef of pork they're, they're pretty cool yeah they're huge and they i mean yeah, they, they look pretty cool i want to pet them oh yeah uh, they're nice you can pet them they'll run away but mm. that's, yeah, that's cool <laughs> brandon for me yeah side gigs yeah what's your what's your what's your hobbies what do you what do you do on the side when you're what are my hobbies um i tend to be a bit nerdy and i like nerdy yet competitive so uh magic the gathering old uh um, trading card game and i i tried to play that so it's been a while but i would routinely go to a card shop uh sit down play with uh like all ages of people but uh effectively get my butt whooped by some 14 year olds and then go home (laughs) and and i just rinse and repeat it's funny because they'd always say you looked really old uh yes uh those uh (laughs) the best candid response was um some i'm like i'm uh, 30 going on 31 and some kid actually thought that I was 45 and, uh, and I did not have a giant beard. And so humbling, humbling in all forms. <laughs> ah, don't worry about it. It's all good. Um, all right, Levi, Brandon, this is your time on born the battle. Mm-hmm. Uh, take, take one minute, take five minutes, take however, however much time you think you need. Uh, why should this audience tune into the vets first podcast? Yeah, I, I assume your audience is um, a lot of veterans, um, and you know, we are a part of the VA podcast network after all. Mm-hmm. But you know, uh, uh, veterans have all sorts of um, ailments. If you go to the VA um, and and get service in any way, shape, or form, whether it be the eye doctor or whatever you see, uh, w- there are researchers that are studying something that's going on with that, and uh, we really want to try and bridge that gap. So. Uh, if you want to be educated about the research that's going on in a way that you can understand it, we're doing that. If you want to hear from veterans like yourself that may or may not be suffering from certain things, um, you'll hear that. I think it's a good way for people to um, hear from other veterans. So, you know, the the kidney podcast, when those started, uh, we got a lot of uh, all the all the vets that came on there 
for those episodes were really excited about it because they're like, wow, we wish this material would have existed before we started out on this venture because all of a sudden, you know, with kidney disease, especially it's really silent. And so all of a sudden you go from being okay to, um, being really sick and maybe needing dialysis or something. And what's that experience like? What's we hear from, we hear from caretakers, we hear from wives, we hear from, uh, sisters, dads, and in, in our two episodes. And so you really get the full gambit of what that experience is like. And then, uh, you know, we, we try to pair those people with a, a researcher or a clinician or a service provider from the VA that is an expert on that topic. And so, um, you know, we, we heard from one of the guys or one of the doctors, Dr. Christy Thomas, who uh, pioneered uh, the, the kidney transplant program or was one of the main drivers of that and how it moved into the hep C territory. And, uh, you know, a couple of years ago, nine kidneys were thrown away at the, at the, at the VA in Iowa City because of hepatitis C and now we can use give those. Them. Yeah, we can use them and yep. help help veterans significantly and um, cure their hep hepatitis C. So there's advances being made and we just want to make people more aware of it. I think that's a big deal. Yeah, like Levi was uh, hitting on, um, there's a lot of programs uh, and additional services the VA that uh, aren't nearly as known. Um, so one of our episodes, we interviewed a father-son pair that were, uh, the son is donating his kidney to his father. And just along the way, we learned about a program where say you have a family member member who is in need of a kidney and who's a veteran and you're not a match for them, there is a program where you can donate a kidney into uh, the cycle, if you will. And if you're not a match, they can get a match. So it's like a kidney for a kidney. So you're not um, uh, completely amiss in terms of wanting to help uh, help someone in need. And just in a way, putting that out in the airways where people can learn about this kind of, th uh, this kind of stuff is really rewarding. And I mean, honestly, you don't hear a whole lot from Levi and I in the pod podcast uh, episodes, particularly me. I'm kind of like, I tend to be silent, uh, but that's kind of the <laughs> point. You get to hear from other veterans and, uh, uh, and other uh, caretakers. And I think that's one of the most rewarding parts. Yeah, I feel like I need a poker and poke him when he needs to talk more <laughs> sometimes. Yeah. But we're still learning, you know. This is our our first season will be. Yeah, coming you guys out aren't public affairs. You're not. No, no, you guys no, are, no. are researchers trying to do a podcast. I think that's very admirable. Yeah, we've pioneered this from the ground up, and uh, until I met you, I uh, didn't really yeah, know didn't what know I was doing. Thing. We were just doing it, you and, know. And I, I, you know, you guys are actually going to be. You know, there have been other podcasts that have, that were developed prior to the network that have been brought into the network, but you're going to be the first serial podcast is going to release through the va podcast network oh cool oh, so, you, guys, you guys didn't know that no i didn't no, know no, that. Well, i'm gonna have to get used to hearing my voice you know that's recorded. kind of a for us it's a necessity we just don't have time to do a weekly podcast because we do research mostly yeah um that's my day job gotcha. and uh um yeah so it's it's been difficult to do it we spend a lot of time outside of our work working on this so gotcha. very good so gentlemen uh levi brandon is there anything else you'd like to add that i didn't ask that you think is important to share no, I think we we covered it pretty well. I'd, I, I would agree. You know, um, I'd like to thank you for letting us come on here and yes. and getting our name out there and and uh, that it's, it's it's exciting. We're excited to do this. And um, if if veterans goes. want to read out reach out to us, they can do that. So we have uh, vetsfirstpodcast at gmail .com is where you can email us right now. And uh, uh, hopefully we can we can expand that to to other things. We're going to get on Twitter hopefully and and some other. Uh, social network type deals. They are doing it right there in Iowa. They're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and all their blogs will be hosted on blogs.va.gov. Okay, news release time. All right, again, these are eight significant news releases from the VA from the past week or so. So like the past couple of weeks, uh, I'm just going to run through the titles, maybe a sentence for each one. And then if I've teased it enough and you want to know more, I'll give you the website where you can go and find more info on it because there are a lot of them. All right. The first one is on support for homeless veterans. The U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs announced recently that it has expanded support services enabled by the Coronavirus Aid, Relief and Economic Security Care or otherwise known as CARES Act to make available immediate relief for veterans experiencing or at risk of homelessness during the coronavirus disease pandemic. So basically $300 million of the CARES Act will be allocated to address the challenges faced by homeless or at-risk veterans. And the news release has a breakout of that $300 million. Uh, for more information on this and all homeless programs, visit va.gov forward slash homeless. In addition, 
we've been talking with that program and we'll have a special COVID episode that will go over all of this. All right, second news release says, VA releases three-phase plan for post-COVID-19 operations that maximizes veteran safety. The Department of Veterans Affairs announced recently a three-phase plan for resuming regular operations at its medical centers, benefits, offices, and national cemeteries in a post-COVID-19 setting. I've seen this only in this news release. Uh, if you Google VA three-phase three plan COVID-19, it's the very first link in, the, in Google. Okay, news release three, U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs and Parkinson's Foundation announced today that they are teaming up to improve the health, well-being, and quality of life for veterans living with Parkinson's disease. Uh, you can find the ways they are teaming up, which include things like educating and training VA staff and veterans access to direct health services related to the disease at parkinsons.va.gov and at parkinson.org. All right, news release four. In recognition of Mental Health Month, which is May, the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs today announced the launch of Now is the Time campaign. This is part of the VA's Make the Connection program. For more information on how to support yourself or a loved one through a tough time uh, in yours or their mental health journey, visit maketheconnection.net forward slash MHM. And you can also listen slash read slash watch to some inspiring veterans who are conquering their own mountains. Okay, news release five, VA releases new COVID coach mobile app. This one's actually kind of cool. The U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs today announced the launch of a COVID coach app, a new mobile app designed to help both veterans and civilians cope with feelings of stress and anxiety that they may be experiencing during the COVID-19 pandemic. This app is available on both Apple and Android and includes practical tools, information, and resources that can all be used from the safety of one's home to track well-being, mood swings, and post-traumatic stress disorder symptoms. I literally just downloaded this today and checked it out for myself. There is a lot in this app. I mean, a lot packed into it. But for me, before I did this recording, I just had about a minute or two, so I just clicked on the For Veterans and Service Members button, and I immediately had access to a nonprofit group that provides mental health services, a VA facility and vet center locator, caregiver support, uh, a link to the Center for Women Veterans, Make the Connection, like we, we, talk, we just talked about, uh, stuff for family members, just a lot of good resources right at the tip of, tip of my fingers. Is that how you say it? Right at my fingertips. It's going to stay on my phone. Uh, again, the app is called COVID Coach. Uh, it's got a little picture of the sun uh, when you when you find it in the, the app store. It's, it's legit, folks. Okay, moving on to News Release 6. The U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs announced today it has accepted a donation of a half a million protective masks from the Republic of Korea to assist the department in combating the COVID-19 pandemic. The donated mask will be distributed for use nationally across VA. Uh, so thank you to our allies out there in Korea. I uh, thought if you've served out there, you might appreciate that one. And I would take it as I thank you from them. All right. News release seven is about the annual Memorial Day ceremonies at uh, national cemeteries. The U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs National Cemetery Administration announced recently it will commemorate Memorial Day this year with solemn wreath lane ceremonies. In keeping with current guidelines, the ceremonies will be closed to the public this year but cemeteries will be open for public visitation. Another offering is a new online memorial feature allowing the public to pay tribute to veterans interred in VA national cemeteries across the country. I think they're referring to the role of honor. So if you go into blogs.va.gov and type in role of honor in the search bar, in the first link, you'll find a continuously updated list of veterans who have been interred at national cemeteries around the country during the pandemic who have not been able to have full committal services uh, during this time. By the way, NCA has come out with on that page and said that they will work with these families to schedule full committal services once this crisis passes, which is which was really good to see. And finally, news release eight. We're, we're there. So recently, the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs announced it has maintained an increasing supply of beds for both veterans and COVID-19 patients, steady supplies across the nation and a stable staffing situation in the vast majority of VA locations nearly two months into the national emergency. As of late April, VA has had the capacity to take in over 12,000 critical and non-critical patients, up from over 9,800 in March. That increase was the result of a decision to defer elective surgeries in anticipation of a rising number of patients infected with COVID-19. It increased capacity that has allowed VA to take in non-veteran patients across the country. 
This early preparation has allowed VA's overall capacity rates to remain steady at 35 to 40% nationwide in both acute care and in in ICUs, which is well below the crisis capacity levels that some feared as the virus spread. Uh, The news release goes on to give you the number of counts on the number of supplies, testing numbers, and other stats. Uh, You could find that news release and all of the others at va.gov forward slash OPA forward slash Press Rel, P-R-E-S-S-R-E-L, all one word. All right, we are finally to this week's interview. Normally, um, as you know, normally the fives, as in episode 195, like this one, episode 200, 205, are reserved for benefits breakdowns. And I am finally to a point where COVID-19 is affecting my workflow. However, we are still going to go internal to a Navy veteran who works in VA He's the deputy director of VA Voluntary Service, and in the spirit of the benefits breakdown, we touch on his office, but this veteran, with his veteran's perspective, is trying to help VA employees with a unique approach to training. Uh, As we all know, VA is a big ship with a small rudder, and our guest is helping VA employees understand its customer base through his TEDx training program. He's also just a positive guy to be around. So here he is, Navy veteran, Prince Taylor. Enjoy. I had my goddaughter, so we hung out. You got to do that sometimes. Got to do it. She's going to college. Oh, really? How old is she? 18 now, but ever since she was 12, I've been expecting her to not want to hang out with me. You know, just be like, oh, no, that was fun when I was six. But she's still good. She still likes hanging out with her godfather. That's good. That's good. You don't normally hear that. Usually, like I said, usually by the time they're 12, it's like, yo... You're yeah, embarrassing. I got stuff. Yeah, you're embarrassing yeah, me. Yeah, you're embarrassing at that point. So that's that's good. You must be the cool godfather. No, no, I still embarrass her. <laughs> I still embarrass her. But awesome. she she let's embarrass her again. What's her name? Oh, Miaza. Miaza. Miaza Rivers. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, yeah. congratulations, Miaza, on going to college. Yeah, going to college. Cool. Um, Fayetteville, North Carolina. Oh man, what's that? What's that down there? That's Fort Bragg. But what's what's this college down there? No, it's Fayetteville something or another. It's an HBCU. Gotcha. Um, I, I probably wouldn't have gotten in, so that's why I never had to learn the name. <laughs> well, congratulations, Miyaza. All right, so we are here to talk about you, Prince. When did you decide that the Navy, like you were going to join the Navy? Well, I was in college, and um, I was hungry struggling to pay for school and bills and everything. And I always had um, admired people that served. Hmm. And this felt like a way to sort of give back to the country and become part of that whole patriotic thing. So it was the uh, serve, mom, apple pie, that whole thing? I I bought into all of it. Gotcha, gotcha. The GI Bill, the benefits and everything like that. So Gotcha. Yeah. Where are you from? I'm from Chicago, but I always have to put an asterisk behind it because I didn't go to high school there. Okay. And so when you say you're from Chicago, people want to start naming things that people in Chicago do. Yeah. But I left before I got to do a lot of those things. And so say I was born and sort of raised in Chicago and I finished up in Southern Illinois. Okay. Um, Carbondale and Murfreesboro. Okay. Yeah. Do you know, um, what what's his name? You know, Melissa McCarthy. Yeah. She's married to a friend of mine. Really? She is. Uh, we're not that close anymore, so it's not like we send each other Christmas cards. But they did a movie called Tammy. Hmm. Yeah, it, it was It was a good movie. I liked it. Was it pretty much about the hometown? It was about the hometown. That's I figured, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Tammy was from Murfreesboro, Illinois. I think he was, um, he was making fun of Murfreesboro a little bit. <laughs> He was. <laughs> That's awesome. But he's in all of our movies. Gotcha. So is so he's they're married and he also is in the movies and star. Yeah, yeah. He writes some of her stuff and everything. Very cool. Yeah. Very interesting. Cool. Well, maybe you should send him a Christmas card this year. You know what? I'll I'll just take it with me. There you go. I say, hey, give them this for me. There you go. Um, why the Navy? Uh, I because- mean, you're in, you're in Illinois. Middle, it's a pretty landlocked. That's part of it. You know, I, I don't know how to swim. And so that's the other question. It's like, and you don't know how to swim, but that's why I joined. I, I like challenges. Gotcha. I, I was reading your bio and it said uh, you were served on the USS LaSalle. What type of ship was that? That was a flagship. And it was also white. 
And so I served during it during his last white days. I don't know how you would say that. And we were in Bahrain and I got to, um, and I didn't realize this would be a dream of mine, but it became one. I got to help steer the, steer the ship up the Red Sea, across the Mediterranean, across the Atlantic. And that that's just mind blowing, you know. What's it take to, to steer a ship like that? Being a deck seaman. <laughs> I was an E2 deck seaman. <laughs> and you were the people that did the watches and steered the ship. So a, a flagship in the Navy, I, I'm forgive me, Marine here. Uh, I mean, is that like a destroyer? Is no, that, no, no, it's no. the Admiral ship. So okay. when the Admiral's with the, with the fleet, he's on his ship and that's the, the flagship. He never came on there while I was there. Got you, got you. But no, uh, no weapons. It's pretty much just a, this is the, the command. No, there were some weapons, okay. um, and, and I did a little bit of stint with the gunners' mates, so we got to to fire some rounds, but um, no heavy artillery. Got you, right? Got you. Just Makes enough sense. to protect ourselves. Got you. Your bio also your bio also said you were stationed in England. What was that like? That was amazing. <laughs> that was am- <laughs> well because um, a- after after I left the LaSalle. Uh, I went to a school to become a yeoman. Yeah. And I did pretty well. And so I got my choice of where I wanted to go. They give you a list and say, these are the the assignments that you guys can choose from. I was number two in the class at the time. And on the board was Japan and England. And Mm -hmm. I was fascinated by possibly going to Okinawa. But I said, it'll be a lot easier for me to go to England. And so I chose that because of the language. Yeah. But I tell you all of that because the person who was like second to last also chose England, which so I ended up with this guy. It's like, wait, how come no one else wanted to go but me? Yeah. So it's almost like you got you got the top of the draft and you pick like the bottom of the first round. Exactly. Exactly. That's exactly what happened. But I'm sure it was like a good sleeper pick, you know what I mean? Like <laughs> like it was like a good duty station. Like it was. Um, I met one of my best friends in the world who actually works here at VA, Trish Jackson. Oh yeah. I met her while while I was over there and I also got to meet um Charles. I I think he's like the prince or something like that. You know, oh, Prince Charles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what they call him. That's what they call him. And uh, like you guys had lunch together, or was it like a formal meeting? Or no, we just posed for pictures. Oh, very cool. And we made the cover of the first NATO magazine. Very cool. Yeah, so. very cool. They got to have that in a museum somewhere. They should. Yeah. I don't know if they do, but if they do, I should be informed and probably paid. Because <laughs> I was looking very fit back then. Outstanding. Um, you you, t- you told me about one of your um, one of your best friends, Trish, right? Yes. Uh, you guys piled around pretty pretty well together. Uh, so you gave me a best friend, but who was one of your greatest mentors while you were in? While I was in, would probably be Command Master Chief um, Ivy Norton, and the captain of the ship who was um, Blackjack Samar. Why they call him Blackjack? I'm not sure. I never got to ask him. <laughs> gotcha. But I'd gotten in trouble because we were supposed to, you know, when you're in the military, you're your own firefighters and everything. And I missed a training because I was on Virginia Beach because we were back in Virginia at that time. And I was looking for a shipmate yeah. who had kind of gotten lost and it took forever to find him. And so by the time we found him and made it back to the barracks, I ended up oversleeping the next day and missed my fire um, training. And so that was automatic Mm -hmm. captain's mask. Mm -hmm. And during the captain's mask, he was like, well, why did you miss it? I said, well, I overslept because of what I did the night before. And I wasn't out drinking. I was out basically searching for someone. And so uh, my punishment was to become the yeoman for the command master chief. (laughs) That was the punishment? That was my punishment. (laughs) Well, they they knew I wasn't a bad guy. Yeah. And, uh, And that's what made me choose the career path I chose. And everything be... After that, just led to where we are today. Gotcha. What are some of the things that they, that they, that they taught you? Oh, it's just personnel and stuff. As a matter of fact, I've done HR. When I first came here to the VA, I started doing um, performance management with the awards and everything, the Secretary's Honor Awards and all of that stuff. Gotcha. So I managed that, and I just left Operation Security and Preparedness last year, where I was their HR manager. Gotcha, gotcha. So, um, so you had all these good times while you were in. Why did you decide to get out? wanted to go back to school hmm. and I, I wanted to do it sooner rather than later um, while I still had all of 
all of my intellectual capacities and everything. I wanted to take advantage of that. You didn't want to be the the 38-year-old. The and I still felt like that. <laughs> I did. Um, I was in my 20s, like my mid-20s, and I still felt like the old guy at the prom. Yeah. Like, why are you hanging out here, dude? But um, it, it turned out to be a lot of fun. And Sometimes it pays to be the old guy. Because they think that you're smarter and wiser than you are. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I think that did happen. I don't know if you ever heard of, I feel like I'm name dropping, no. but um, there is a rapper named Open Mike Eagle. Yeah. He ran in those circles with us. Okay. And um, there was a comedian. I don't think he's that funny, but other people <laughs> love him and he's, <laughs> Tina Fey loves him. Okay. Tina Fey and Amy Poehler. Um, Tracy Morgan? No, not no. Tracy, but but he is black. Um, he always asks why I can't remember his name. If I remember by the end, I'll tell you. All right, all but, right. But um, he also ran in those circles, and you all went to school together. Yeah, yeah, we all went to college together. Gotcha. And all of those folks really were from Chicago. <laughs> You know? <laughs> so then I'm sure they were like, you're from Chicago, but not real Chicago. Yeah, not real Chicago. If you don't know this, if you don't know that. Nah, yeah. Nah. Where, where where was school at? Uh, Southern Illinois University. Okay. Which, I'm sorry, I always have like these extra I love tidbits it. for That's you. That's what podcasts are for, man. Good little caveats. Love it. So a lot of veterans have degrees from SIU Carbondale. Yep. Because before um, before all of this internet stuff... SIU used to do distance learning. I remember them at Lejeune. See? Yeah. Yeah, and a lot of vets never stepped foot on their campus, but they have degrees from SIU. Mm-hmm. They're struggling now because they didn't keep up with um, with technology and the times and everything. And so they they started out as one of the, the most veteran-friendly universities, even when I was there still. And also they had the largest international student population at the time. Oh, wow. Yeah, but I don't think either of those are true now. Well, well, you know, hopefully they'll get back on track. You know, at at the end of the day, I remember when I was still uh when I when I was still in, I got out in 2015. They were still around the camp. They were still around the, the actually the physical you know university. They were having a physical presence on base. So that's good to hear. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. you know it's nice to be able to walk around with your alma mater. And, oh, be recognized, like, and be recognized. Oh, I, I know that school. Exactly. Yeah, I feel you. As opposed to people saying, does that still exist? <laughs> so, <laughs> What was the transition like in 2000? You know, it was not many people I know I've, or I've talked to on the show um, get out around that. I've gotten out around that time frame. Either it's like a post 9-11 or it's like a Vietnam. So I, I don't really get that many people that were like right before 9-11. So like what was the support system like for veterans? Um, what was a, What was the full transition period like for you? That's a really good question. So I got out of active duty um, in the the late 90s. Got you. And everything. Um, I was in school and I got my my bachelor's in 2000. Okay. So I was already out. I, I stayed in the reserves for a while. Got you. Yeah. And okay. so, um, yeah, so I, I was in and out, not to diminish what the reserves do, especially since 9-11. They've been right on the forefront. Absolutely. But before 9-11, it really was more of that weekend warrior thing. You know, you go one week in a month and then two weeks out the year. What was it like when you when you got, so what time, when did you get out? Like you just did one, you did the one enlistment? Active? Yeah, I did the one enlistment. Active. So you got out in like 96, 97. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So what was it like then getting out um, as far as like, you know, I mean, you have all these VSOs now, you have all this support. Right. Was that all that, was all that there in 97, 96? I'm sure it was supposed to be. It didn't feel like it, you yeah. know, coming out. Uh, we, we had a, a veteran student organization on the campus and, and they would help with paperwork and everything. But I don't recall there being like, hey, and we're all going out for pizza or anything like that. Uh, yeah. So hopefully, hopefully that's changed. But Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Ever since, you know, there's been a lot of calls to action, especially with the post 9-11 and, you know, a lot, a lot of VSOs, nonprofits, uh, you know, uh, when I went to school, I mean, the Pat Tillman Center ASU was uh, mm. so supportive, even for online students like myself. I was taking night classes, you know. See, and- I doth my cap to people that that do night classes online because you don't get the the benefit of being able to go right to the teacher right then yeah. and get an answer. You have to wait. 
and you have to craft it a certain way so that they understand what you're saying. That's so difficult. Shoot those emails. Yeah, no, I was in I was in North Carolina. I wasn't going to give up the gig, the gig that I had. Right. To 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 go out to Arizona and and, and be on campus as much as the BH BH would have been nice. I was, Arizona I was, State. Yeah, Arizona State. Yeah, my cousin went there. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But she did it online too, mm-hmm. working full time. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I, I just don't have that in me. I, I have to focus if I can. Sure, absolutely. Yeah, I, I feel you on that. Yeah, I tried to do it with um. I took a couple of doctoral level classes, but all that is is reading and writing all the time. Yeah, and so you can't really do anything else, especially if you have a full time job. And at the time I was here at the VA, yeah, I was like, man, I can wait. I don't need people to call me <laughs> doctor that bad. <laughs> But people were already calling me doctor. And so it's like. Just because you took a couple classes? No, no, no. Before oh. I ever took classes, they would just see me and just naturally assume you must be doctor. Like, no, <laughs> no, I don't know why I look so intelligent to you. <laughs> and so, um, so it, it just made me say, well, you know what? Maybe I should be a doctor. Maybe I should be a doctor. <laughs> Everybody call me doctor. I, mm. I, I just didn't um, take into account how expensive and time consuming that is. Yeah, I think I'm going to wait for my master's. Like, you know, I I planned it when I was active duty to take enough classes that I could still get my master's when I had my GI mm-hmm. Bill. Yep. But uh, as soon as I got that done with that bachelor's, I was like, all right, I'm good for a while. I'm good. Because uh, it's so draining. It, yeah. But what happens is sometimes you'll meet someone who has a master's, and in my case, who has a doctorate. You're like, they're not so smart. If they're just giving <laughs> could, them away. I could, I could do this. Exactly. If they're just giving them away, <laughs> I could do this. <laughs> you get in there, it's like, man, this is killing me i'm off to meet that person because right now i'm not i'm not feeling it (laughs) (laughs) so how did you find your way to the va um well after after college i ended up working for circuit city okay yeah actually i worked for the dollar tree and the hr person for circuit city came in to buy a lot of trinkets and she remembered me from class and said we're looking for an operations manager prince would you be interested and it was a whopping $38,600 a year, which was better than probably the eight fifty I was making at the <laughs> Dollar Tree. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I, it was to be a manager. And so yeah. it was a huge step. Yeah. And, and so I took that and um, then someone came to me and said, Prince, I hear that your your talents are being not utilized. And so you should call my friend and have him to help you get a better job. And this was one of the managers, maybe they were just trying to get rid of me and didn't want me to say, Prince, you got to go. They're like, you can do better. You can do better. So call this guy. I see a future for you. (laughs) Not here. But not here. (laughs) Of course, they were going under at the time, too. So, you know. Well, I I could tell you why they were going under. They had a very homogenous mindset in in the leadership. Okay. Totally. And but that that's a different different story. And so the guy gives me a card, and it wasn't a guy that worked where I was. This was in Marion, Illinois, which was like a million square foot um, warehouse. Yeah. And so I was over during peak season. I was over like over a hundred people easy because oh, wow. we had contractors and we had our regular folks. And this isn't worth Circus City. Who was it with? This was Circus City. Oh, this was still Circus City. This was Circus City. Yeah. But um, because the guy gave me this card and said that I could do better, and I was like, yeah, why can't I do better? And so um, I called the person and I started interviewing with other um, companies like Toys R Us, <laughs> you know, Retail. just up and comers, up and comers. Yeah. <laughs> and there were a couple of other places. These, these companies are going to last forever. They're stable. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's where you want to be, Prince. Uh, <laughs> and I ended up with Brinks. Okay. Cash logistics. And so my job yeah. there was to help people count money more efficiently. Okay. Which sounds great. Yeah. And so it was a manager training program, and they only had three criteria. They wanted you to be college educated. They wanted you to be mature. And they wanted you to be willing to travel around the country and possibly, you know, out of the country for two years. Okay. That was the only commitment that they wanted, really. And so I was the first person they hired. And about three months later, they let me go. Oh. Because they couldn't find anyone else that met those three criteria. The vice president of the company called me into his office and said, Prince, I need your stuff back. I thought he was joking because I hadn't done anything. And he was like, well, we can't find anyone else for the program. And so we're getting rid of the program. And I said, well, do you have anything else for me? You could do better. (laughs) So I I was just unemployed. And my friend Trish, 
that I met in the Navy. She was actually all Army those years person. ago. All those years ago, we kept in touch a little bit. Uh, and this, is, this is before. Uh, yeah, this is before social media. Before social media, so I have no idea how we kept in touch because she was here in the D.C. area. She was at the Pentagon during 9/11. She was the person I was most worried about. Okay. Yeah. yeah, and this is just plutonic friends, but you know, you still love your friends. Yeah, yeah. And she had gotten married by then, and she had been trying to tell me about D.C. for a long time, and it kind of took her husband, Eric, getting on the phone saying, Prince, this is where you need to come. And so I started applying for jobs and ended up here at the VA and haven't looked back since. So you did HR for a while. Yes. Uh, what's one thing about HR that nobody really knows about? Oh, that's a great question. I'm ready to spill the beans on that. <laughs> no, the thing is, is that no one in HR knows everything about HR. People think that, oh, if you're in HR, then you know everything about classification and benefits and staffing and performance. No, most people in HR grow up in one track. Okay. And so you might know everything there is to know about benefits. Yeah. And you're an expert in benefits, but you probably don't know a whole lot about everything else. Okay. And so you have to rely on all of your other experts. Like pol other policies or Yeah, other yeah. policies and Hiring the or... operations folks even. Yeah. Yeah. But very few people know more than one or two disciplines. Okay. It's fair. So people hear that I'm in HR and they all have all of these classification questions, benefits. I don't I did performance management, dude. <laughs> I can tell you who does. Yeah. You know, and I can point you in the right direction. I can point you in the right direction. And at some point you do have a a very broad base, especially when I was with OSP as their HR manager, I had to stretch out a little bit yeah. and be more of a generalist. But for yeah. the most part, people are specialists. What's OSP? Operation Security and Preparedness. Gotcha, gotcha. So what's the employee engagement fair? Was that why you were with HR or was that? Yes. And okay. So this is what happened. And a lot of people won't know this anymore because it doesn't happen the way it used to happen. Uh, Public Service Recognition Week. Yeah. First full week of May. Uh, Ronald Reagan signed that into law back in the 80s. And on the National Mall every year, they would have this huge two tents. One was for DOD and the other was for the rest of um of the agencies <laughs> and all the other guys all the other guys right <laughs> well the va always had the largest exhibit of all the other guys and we did it every year every year every year and then the great recession hit yeah and they decided we can't afford to do this and even if we can't afford it, it's not a good look to spend all that money on the national mall to do these exhibits even though they were for the public it wasn't like we all just got together in a tent by ourselves and you know slapped each other's hands yeah, and, and, and yeah. You're, you're great no you're great it was for the public, but they ended up going away. Yeah. What and, was the what was the benefit of it? Well, people got to see what their government did for them. They okay. could come by the booths and they can say, "Okay, so I never heard of this agency. What exactly do you do?" And you can tell them. Okay. And so we we got a lot of veterans and widows and children of vets and everything that used to stop by huh. and take pictures with us and we would have these great displays out. It was really good outreach. It was really good outreach. Hmm. Really good outreach. And so um after it went away, I was the chairperson of the team. I, I represented the department for yeah. for all of this. Yeah. And so I told the team, I said, Well, it's gone away. And so we don't have to meet anymore unless you want to. And they said, well, we do. And it was like, well, what can we do? And we decided to do an open <laughs> we house. We have no funding. <laughs> yeah, I, I've never really worked with funding. And it was like, well, we could do an open house here. Yeah. And so we started doing an open house in C7 here at 810 Vermont Avenue. Okay. And it was basically the same exhibits that we would do on the mall. But we thought to ourselves, people are so stovepipe. They don't know what each other do, yeah. let alone the, the public knowing. And so um, we started doing that. And then after I left that part of HR, my, my predecessor, not my predecessor, my successor came in and continued doing it. Oh, that's good. And now it's with, I believe, um, diversity and inclusion. That's good. Yeah. That's good. So what's your current role with the VA? Right now, I'm glad you asked that. I am the deputy director for voluntary service. What's that? Oh, yeah. Well, it's twofold. And we need to work on we need to work on our branding. Because people hear that and they think, oh, so you manage volunteers or you volunteer to manage volunteers. And that's not it. Here we're a program management office. And so we sort of um, coalesce all of the voluntary service chiefs out in the field. 
and keep everyone on the same page. And so we, we have meetings with them, um, annual meetings. We, we are very active on the National Advisory Committee, which includes a lot of our VSOs like American Legion, American Red Cross, Salvation Army, all of those guys and gals. Um, and so we're sort of like the face of VA for those sorts of things. Okay. So, yeah, because if I go to the website, it talks about like, like how you can volunteer you know, and donate. Yeah, and donate. Yeah, and we, we will take your money. But that, yeah, <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll accept your money. <laughs> but um, but that's not everything you guys do. You know, what's the what's the full mission of voluntary services? Um, our vision is to create a VA culture that serves the well being of veterans through st- strategic engagement of volunteers and community partners, as well as the professionals who facilitate their involvement. Tell you what, I'm going to do. We're going to do another episode. We're, we're going to break this down. Oh, bro. So for our listeners, like, hey, because I know you guys do a lot more than what you just kind of kind of just said. So and I know that's that could take a whole nother episode. So we'll do that. We'll come back and, and, and we'll revisit that. Does that sound good? I can't wait. Awesome. Who started the organization of the internal like TED Talks that are here at the VA? How'd they start? Oh, wow. So <clears throat> you've probably heard of um, Veterans Day. Oh, no. Yeah. No. no, There's this little thing that they call Veterans Day. It happens in November every year. (laughs) I call it my free meal day. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Um, Me and my buddies used to go out and and we would plan our whole day around like, all right. (laughs) Start at IHOP. Yeah. Start at IHOP and Denny's. You know, we get Texas Roadhouse. It only has like a three hour window. So we've got to be at Texas Roadhouse. From there, dude, we got to go get a subway. And then we finish up. At the Golden Corral. We get in that line early, right? So, like, we would plan our whole day around it when we were on base. As you should. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, because it, it's <laughs> funny. It is funny. But the thing is, is you are giving them an opportunity to say thank you to you. Yeah. Through my gut. <laughs> <laughs> but you look I'll take fit. It. I'll take it. Ladies and gentlemen, he looks <laughs> fit. So, he does not look like he gorge. Well, I guess you gorge one day a, a, a year. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah definitely. One day you're allowed I appreciate that. that. You have one cheat day. <laughs> Uh, but it allows the public to say thanks in a very meaningful way to them. And, and I yeah. learned that. So I participate in it, too. Yeah. Because it's not so much that I just want to eat all this free food. I also want to give them an opportunity because they want to say thanks. Okay. Yeah. So that's how I look at it. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah, but you were asking about TED Talks uh, or TEDx Veterans Affairs. So what happened is we started expanding it into the entire month of November. Okay. And they put me on the committee the first year and gave me nothing to do. Yeah. I mean, I know I'm a pretty face, but I can, I can add I some can value. I can do stuff. Yeah. I can do stuff. And so I, I just accepted that the first year. And then the second year, they put me back on the committee. I didn't do anything the first year. They put me back on the committee and gave me nothing to do. And mm-hmm. so I went to the chairperson, great guy, um, PDAS for OPIA, Wolf Wagner, love him. And I said, Mr. Wagner, um, it doesn't look like you have a whole lot for me to do. Uh, do you mind if I create something myself? And he said something like what? I said, well, we do TED-like things here, so maybe we could just do our own TED Talks, our own TEDx or something. I said, sure, if um, your assistant secretary approves it. And they said, uh, sure, just keep it low-key. like, okay. And so I got their approval. And then I thought to myself, wait, how do you pull this off? Because I had no idea of how to pull it off. Yeah. And so I started writing down the names of the smartest, hardest working people I could think of. And then I looked at the list and it was like just three or four names on it. And they were all female. They were all female, just people I admired and just thought the world of. Alicia Davis, Rachel Cardinella, Rousseau right now, Renee Allen, Tanetta Lee, people like that. Yeah. And so um, I reached out to them and they, without any hesitation, was like, we're on board. Tell us what you need. And I said, I don't know yet. But we figured it out and we put one. This is how you pull something like that off. You bump into someone like Dr. Linda Davis, who's over the Veterans Experience Office. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I knew who she was and we had never met before. I just felt her energy. And I walked up. (laughs) Seriously, and I just walked up to her at the end of a program, probably a secretary's program. Yeah. And she was talking to someone. I waited my turn. And I said, Dr. Davis, I need to talk to you. And she said, the answer is yes. And I'm like, I didn't really 
And so before I really got it out, she had already agreed to do it. Um, and because she knew I wanted to do something to, to help vets and employees and everything. Yeah. And after she said yes, everybody else was like, yes, me too, me too, me too. Um, we had Dr. Clancy. When I asked Dr. Clancy, at first she was like, well, you know, I'm not the acting undersecretary any, anymore. I said, but you still add value. Yeah. And so she did it. And um, we, we had we had a young lady who works for the Center for Minority Vets. Yeah. I think it's Center for Minority Vets. She's a Native American female veteran. And I was thinking, we don't hear stories like that very often. Yeah. So these are all the the speakers, or yes. these are all the people that are like, "Hey, we'll no, support they were it. speakers. Oh, okay. They were speakers, um, just heavy hitters yeah. right at the beginning, and they did a great job. It's hard. To so be this the is first all the first ones. year. Yes. This is all that first year. The wow. first year was just last year. Oh, okay, just last year, and we actually opened up with a young lady, Courtney Overstreet, who's like nine or ten or something. She's the daughter of vets. And so we let her come in and talk about her experience being the daughter of vets. Mm -hmm. And that's how we opened it up. So it started last year. Um, who did you have to speak this year? Let me just bridge it by saying that after last year was so successful, my boss, Sabrina, when I got this job, yeah. she said, what's going to happen to TEDx now? Because she also participated last year. It did it about her son, but it was a universal message. Yeah. Love it. I should send it to you. All right. And I said, well, it's probably going to go away since I'm not there anymore. And she said, bring it with you. And so I did. And we had one in May during Public Service Recognition Week. Yeah. And we had medical center directors that flew in um, to, to give talks. We had psychiatrists that flew in, Dr. Jennifer McDonald, um, Martina Malik, Dr. Walker from Jackson, Mississippi, who changed the culture there. Yeah. Um, and we also had... This lady, Anne McKee, Dr. Anne McKee from Boston, who talked about, uh, you know, you watch the NFL at all? Uh, yeah. Sometimes? Yeah. Super Bowl, maybe? Yeah. Well, you know. No, I'm a Seahawks dude. You can through it through. A Seahawks person? Yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> we all talk about the, the brain injuries now. Yeah. She's been doing that research for like 20 or 30 years. Okay. And it started with the explosions with vets and everything. And then she started seeing these similarities. And so- it was her work. TBI. Exactly. It was her work and her team's work that brought that to the forefront. Oh, wow. Yeah. But we ended up, I couldn't believe all of the people that wanted to participate this year. Now, I'd ask you, you know, where can anybody go hear these these talks? But you and I both know it's not public currently, right? It's because we have an internal license. Got you. Got you. Yes. So, but we might be able to air them on the show, right? On Born the Battle? Um. We could talk about that. Yeah, we could talk, we about, talk that? about that. Yeah, maybe we could do something like we, that. We can talk about that. All right. But but people, employees definitely can um can access them on the talent management system. Okay. All they have to do is search TEDx. That's good to go. I hope you're able to get a license so other people can. I can we not. are so trying. <laughs> we just got rejected because uh, these aren't like one of those where you're just going to call it a TED talk. These are officially licensed. Yeah talks yeah uh, that we're not allowed to put on youtube because we do not own a standard license okay but what i do is when um when there's a really good talk i try to let people who do have standard license know about them and say you might be interested in having this person speak for you if okay if you like very good yeah we had a vietnam vet this year that, that came up and gave it was ridiculous his talk because he talked about um he he wouldn't talk about Vietnam, yeah. And and some some vets don't like really talking about that experience, yeah. And you just have to respect it. But he talked about being homeless, being an addict, having suicidal ideations, and he talked about how the the VA helped him. And he was in that state for decades, mm. and then one day he just was like, "It's time," and it was the VA that helped get him on a path of being clean, of just turning his life around. And I don't think there was a dry eye in the in the room. Well if there's um if there's anybody that 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 go through your talks that you think would be a good story for the podcast, definitely let me know as well. Okay. Um, yes. And, and we can have them as a guest at, at the very least if we can't get the the talks on the podcast. Prince, how does the VA voluntary service uh interface with with like nonprofits and VSOs? We have a national advisory committee. 
yeah. that's comprised of nothing but our veteran service organizations. Nonprofits, I wouldn't necessarily say that we have like a strong connection with them. That's probably more community engagement okay. that does that. Gotcha. But definitely our VSOs. And also um, a lot of times we get brought in when just a, not a nonprofit, a profit, just yeah. a regular, like a Microsoft or somebody like that, if they want to make donations to the VA, they, they end up going through us because we have to track all of that stuff. Okay. Um, is there a nonprofit or a veteran in the veteran community that you see as like a, a, a shining example uh, for we others? Love to, all of for them. The, we love them all. Sure, Try sure. to get me in trouble. <laughs> we love them all equally. Thank you. Yeah. Prince, is there anything else that I haven't asked that you think is important for the listeners to know? Uh, yeah, yeah, of course. Here at VAVS, um, Voluntary Service, we're always trying to grow. So obviously we like to have um, we like to have donations, we like to have volunteers and stuff like that, but we also have a lot of programs that we do. And so it's not just about volunteers and donations. And one of the, the, the most fascinating programs to me now is, well, right now we call it the Volunteer In-Home Visitor Program, but what it is is more like a veteran companion caregiver respite so veteran oh, wow. companion slash caregiver respite program and is only really in like eight or nine locations right now okay and so my personal goal now that we've got tedx off the ground so i definitely want to keep that going yeah uh, we have a list of 30 people waiting to do ted for us oh, that's great but with this other program my, my my passion is trying to get it to expand gotcha. and we've already met with the chief of staff on it and he's sort of given us things that we need to do before we come back and say, hey, now can we expand it gotcha. and, and just getting support. But one thing that I think will help and it's something that I really love about the VA that we're doing better now is um, internal partnerships. Okay. Because when I first got here, a lot of offices just sort of hoarded what they did and didn't share information. Stovepipe silos. Very stovepipe. Yeah, yeah. You can't really function as an organization, this large of everything is stovepiped. Yep. So right now at this program, Dr. Linda Davis again, she said, caregiver stuff, let me know about it. So we've had conversations with um, the caregiver support team, um, the home-based primary care team. Um, so just a whole lot of other internal organizations, suicide prevention. And so all of us are basically trying to work together to make a program like this work. I want to thank Prince for his patience and getting that interview out. And we look forward to bringing him back on. I got a feeling that there are a lot of programs within VA Voluntary Service that we can all learn more about. This week's Born the Battle event of the week was submitted by Mike Dombrowski. He wrote into our email account, podcast at va.gov. He says, I would like to nominate John Jarrett for Veteran of the Day or even the year if possible. He is a very active Air Force retiree with a long history and a heart for serving other veterans. He recently celebrated a birthday, his 80th, I believe, and is going strong with a long history as a servant leader in organizations such as the American Legion, VFW, and Operation Second Chance. His continued service to our community and fellow veterans sets the bar very high and gives us a very fine example of sacrificial service. Thank you for that. And John Jarrett, thank you for your service. That's it for this week's episode. If you yourself would like to nominate a Born the Battle Veteran of the Week, much like Mike did, you can just send an email to podcast at va.gov, include a short write-up, and let us know why you'd like to see him or her as the Born the Battle Veteran of the Week. And if you like this podcast episode, hit the subscribe button. We're on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcast, iHeartRadio, pretty much any podcatching app known to phone, computer, tablet, or man. For more stories on veterans and veteran benefits, check out our website, blogs.va.gov, and follow the VA on social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, RallyPoint, DEPT Vet Affairs, U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs. No matter the social media, you can always find us with that blue check mark. And as always, I am reminded by people smarter than myself to remind you that the Department of Veterans Affairs does not endorse or officially sanction any entities that may be discussed in this podcast nor any media products or services they may provide. Thank you again for listening, and we'll see you right here next week. Take care.
uh, go, go ahead and tell me because now you know the name. Oh, the guy's name, Hannibal yeah. Burris. Great guy. I just don't think he's hilarious. He is a different type of comedy. He 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 is an acquired comedic taste. Whack. <laughs> I'm not calling him all that. I'm just saying that. No, that's one of his lines. Whack. Oh, okay. I thought you were saying he was whack. <laughs> nah, um, Hannibal, great guy. I just remember we used to go to these poetry slams together and I would like read my bleeding heart poetry. And he would get up there and tell jokes like right afterwards and everything. It's like, man, I'm trying to make them, I'm trying to get a date. <laughs> and, and he's making everybody laugh. That's funny. So maybe, maybe it's just a personal thing that That's I have. That's funny. Yeah. <laughs>